Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Well, listen, I'm so glad that this morning that we have a special guest with, with, with us and uh, uh, Mr. Phil Johnson, as I said, uh, from Church Missions Network. And he's going to tell us a little bit about Church Missions Network. So will you join me in welcoming Phil? Thank you, Phil. I'm the problem, and that's usually the case. Uh, at age 53, after serving 30 years uh, on church staff in different roles, God began to deal with me about international missions, and uh, I struggled, grew up in Mississippi because I'm a slow learner, that I'll attest that to that. And uh, he began to work with me, and, and uh, to do something, I said, God, I want to do something God's size. And I'm not sure what that is. I'm not sure what I'm available to do. And uh, he suggested that I began to work with a network of churches across the United States to plant churches in East Africa. And uh, he gave me a God-sized task to plant 500 churches in 15 years. And uh, I'd never run a business. I've never been in charge of anything. But he led me to begin Church Missions Network in December of 2007. And he gave me this verse. This comes out of Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. And I took that verse as kind of our theme verse for what we're about to do. This, I just said we finished our 12th year. We have just finished planting 578 churches. Remember our goal was 500. So God now begins, as Tim was saying, uh, God said, well, instead of 15, why don't you do 16 years, and let's go for 1,000 churches. That's what we're doing. We brought Brother John on, who spoke here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think probably the greatest thing we do is uh, not only planting churches, but to train pastors. Because in Africa, pastors are not trained. The churches become cultic very quickly because they know nothing of Scripture. And there's so many cults that claim to be of Christ, but there really aren't. So he's in charge of that. And uh, we began in Kenya, and then we worked into Uganda and Tanzania, and now we're in seven countries. We've planted two churches in Mozambique uh, this year, and uh, we're meeting with their uh, headquarters to start a pastor training school down there uh, to focus on that as well. So my task is to not only recruit people to go to Africa and recruit pastors to go teach, uh, to buy medicine. We do a lot with medical teams is how we plant churches. We basically take what Jesus did and what Paul did in the book of Acts, what Jesus did in the Gospels. And Jesus would come in and he would heal the sick and he would love on kids and he would share the truth. And I believe every village he was in was changed forever. And that's what we try to do. All we do is rural work. We don't, do, we don't work in cities because we feel like there's other mission organizations, there's other NGOs that do a lot of things for people there. And we began uh, to just work in rural areas where there really are no churches and where people have killed each other for years and years during uh, tribal conflict and uh, where the gospel is uh, strained to say the least. There are people there that believe that there's a black Jesus. And you say, well, how in the world can that happen? Well, he had over 7 million believers, but he was the black Jesus. So that's the kind of things that we're about, much less Muslims and other things we deal with as well. In 29, 2009, God began to convict me about orphans. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of one of those things that when, you, when God gives you a task, I began to look at things very pragmatically. Well, what's going to happen that will help 
the kingdom and not hurt the kingdom. So I was afraid to know what to do. So I began to pray, and again, it took me about a year to figure out what to do. And we started a thing called Care for Kids, K for K, uh, Feeding Orphans. And when God told me, we, we were on the islands in the Lake Victoria, Suba Islands. We we're doing church, planting churches on these islands. One medical team, next morning, get up, go to the next island, do the same thing. See patients, share the gospel, pray with people, plant a church, go to the next island. And God began to tell me that you need to feed kids. Part of that comes out of James 1, and, and you'll notice everything we do is scripture-based, everything we try to do that we know for sure God is in the middle of this. James 1.27 says this, true religion, true religion. The Lord says true religion is this, that you take care of orphans and widows in their distress. And I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of hungry people in Tennessee and in the United States, but I don't know many people who are literally starving to death. And we've been in some areas where kids have literally starved to death. They eat dirt because there's nothing to put in their stomach. And we began to come up with rice and beans uh, to feed them. When God on that island told me we're going to do that, God said, if Jesus can do, if he can feed 5,000 people, surely 2,000 years later you can figure out how to feed 10,000 kids on an ongoing basis. And this is how God and I have conversation. I said, God, I know you know all things. But I just want to remind you, we haven't got 25 cents to buy rice and beans with. We began to start with six churches. Uh, we realized there's probably 50 to 100 uh, orphans in each one of these little churches. And uh, we started feeding 300 kids in 2010. Since 2010, we are now feeding, and remember that verse? You'll be amazed, unbelievable, even if you were told. We're now feeding over 13,000 orphans and widows in 69 churches. That is James 1.27. It is ministry, but everything we do has a gospel aspect. We try to share the gospel with those who've never heard. So if you can imagine yourself in the, in the, in the depths of the country in, in Africa, where there's nothing around you, maybe a school with a mile away, and there's a little mud church. And suddenly, three days a week, 100 we have uh, seven churches now feed over 300 orphan kids because the men have killed each other because of tribal wars, because of AIDS, because of malaria, that sort of thing. 300, 100, 300 kids show up. Adults will show up just to see because they got nothing to do anyway, and they say, how in the world does this little mud church feed these people? They got no money. We know these people. We know they got no money because we got no money. And a part of our deal is we feed kids we have a pastor or someone on their staff or someone in their church to share the gospel. To share with them the Jesus, the God of Jesus that we love and serve and worship. There's churches and individuals in America that serve that same God. And they have felt led to give us the funding to provide these meals. Two years ago, I was at a church and I was watching them feed kids. And there were three little girls dressed in Muslim dress. And I'm from Mississippi, and I'm just dumb as a brick. I'm just going to tell you that right now. I, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. But it, 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 it almost angered me. Why are we feeding Muslim kids? And then I got to thinking, when Jesus fed 5,000, he didn't say, you people believe me, I'm going to feed you. The rest of you people, I don't care about y'all. You just go be hungry. So I talked to the pastor. I said, you know, what's the deal with feeding these Muslim kids? And he said, I want to tell you a story. You see those three kids over there? And usually they have school uniforms on. So these girls have school uniforms on. 
I said, yeah. He said, those girls were like those girls a year ago. He said, we began to feed, and, and they come from school. We feed them three days a week, rice and beans, a big plate, and give them uh, water. And he said, uh, we'd fed these girls for three, four weeks. Their mother came to us. And, and in Africa, if, you're, if your husband or father has died, you're considered an orphan because the mother can make no money because she has no education and no job skills. So the mother came to the pastor, and she said, I don't understand why you do what you do. You know what she's talking about. You're feeding my girls. We are Muslims. We are taught that you Christians hate us. And that pastor shared the same verse, James 127. And he said, we serve the God of Jesus who loves everyone and especially loves children. And if you're a widow, we will also give you a plate of rice and beans. And this is her response. My husband died a year ago. And I prayed to Allah to feed my kids. And Allah never did anything for a year. And here you are, our enemies, and you're feeding my girls. She's, the pastor told me they began, they came to church. We continued to feed them. They came to church for four Sundays in a row. The mother and the girls came to him. The next Sunday, they received Christ and were baptized because we're feeding kids in rural areas. Your pastor went to Africa with John Hun, and that alone tells me a lot about him. He, don't, he loves living on the edge because John's out there on the edge. Uh, but what I know of him, your pastor, uh, he's a man seeking God's face. And as he continues to serve, the thing that excites me about him, he has a kingdom perspective. A lot of pastors just want to help their church, and they see their whole kingdom in that church. He has a view of Scripture that says Jesus came and died for everyone. What can we do? If it's a little part, if it's a big part, what can we do to share the gospel, the love of Jesus Christ to everyone worldwide? I would love for you to continue to pray for us, be a part of us. I'll be in the hallway after the service to answer any questions you have. But I want to thank you. I want to thank your pastor for being willing uh, to come and join us in this service. Let's pray together. Dear God, again, I thank you for your love. Dear God, I ask you to bless this pastor, bless these people. Dear God, I ask you to bless the people, the hundreds who have not joined this church yet. And dear God, you know who they are. And you know they're going to be coming. Dear God, we continue to ask you to bless open eyes, open hearts, open ears. Dear God, we may can hear and see and feel and touch the things you want us to do and how you want us to do it. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much, Phil. Appreciate that, man. Thank you so much. Pretty impactful. When the Lord calls you to do something, he, he, he definitely will show up, right? So what an amazing thing God's doing there. And, and we definitely want to be part of that and, uh, and see what the Lord will do through us. So um, if you have a Bible, open up with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. And uh, we, are, we are continuing our verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of 1 Thessalonians. And 
we are nearing the end, and the, and the end ends with a bang. So uh, I, I love First Thessalonians, particularly when you get to the, towards the end of it and uh, on into Second Thessalonians, where, which is where we'll be going. So uh, we've got maybe two weeks left, so sometime in the, probably the second week in January, uh, we'll be heading into that book. But also, don't forget, you know, what, however you've been impacted by First Thessalonians, we want to take a Sunday and share with our body. So, you know, be thinking about that. And if, if the Lord's already put on your heart, hey, the Lord spoke to me clearly about this particular aspect of that book. You, will you let me know so we can kind of start planning that? It'll be um, probably after, um, it, it'll be the second week in January, uh, the first Sunday in January. I want to, I want to share something else. But um, so make sure you do that. Stand with me if you would. We're going to read First Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon, uh, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for, the helmet of, uh, for, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation." For God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Father, we thank you for your word now, Lord, and we pray that you would speak to our hearts regarding the times and the seasons in which we live. Lord, you have given us these things to know. And Father, we don't have to be in the dark. We are your children of light. So will you open our eyes to things that we may be missing? Will you open our ears this morning to things that we are not hearing, Lord? Will you help us to be ready for your return? Will you help us today, Lord, to get on mission and not miss what you're calling us to today? So we ask you to come and help us to rightly divide your word this morning, Lord. Speak into our hearts, change us, challenge us, and, and, and just shape us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So in our verses today, we, are, we, we, we consider a phrase that confuses, many are confused by. And it is this phrase, the day of the Lord. Now, to some people, they believe it's speaking of a specific day. But, but I believe that it is speaking of a particular season or uh, you know, a, 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 a collection of events that will occur. And uh, I'll tell you why. It, it's a phrase that's used both in the Old and New Testament. And uh, it, it's referring to uh, God's judgment upon his enemies. It's also referring to the deliverance of his nation, Israel. So there's a remnant there that God will deliver. There was a promise that was given that God is faithful to. And so that God will turn his eyes towards Israel during the day of the Lord, he will establish his kingdom. 
during this time. And so it's a series of events, not necessarily just a, an event, not just speaking about the second coming of Christ, but everything that comes before it and everything that comes after it. And so when you read about the day of the Lord, that's what it's speaking about. If you look in the Old Testament and you read, uh, you know, like particularly Isaiah and Isaiah chapter 13, he refers to it as destruction from Almighty, a day cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land of desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. Jeremiah called it a day of vengeance and event to avenge himself on his foes. Jeremiah chapter 46, verse 10. Joel said that it is a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. So awesome, who can endure it? Peter spoke about it in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. He also referenced Joel in Acts chapter 2, verse 20. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, he says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn." I believe the day of the Lord is the ushery, is ushered in by the rapture of the church, uh, start, starting that seven-year tribulation period, which, which ends with the coming of Christ and at the battle of Armageddon and all of those things, which ushers in the millennial, millennial reign of Christ. For a thousand years, Satan will be bound, and Jesus Christ himself will reign earthly here, take his earthly throne in Jerusalem, he will reign there for a thousand years, at the end of which the enemy will be released one more time, and he will deceive nations, Revelation chapter 20 tells us, and, or 21, and then, and then the end comes where the Lord casts the enemy into the lake of fire, which is hell, and every, every person is judged based on whether or not they believe in Christ. Those, those unbelievers are judged and also tossed into hell with with the, the enemy, which it was created for the enemy and his angels, but, but those who reject Christ will be thrown into there. And then he, he destroys the heavens and the earth, and he creates a new heavens and a new earth, and the new Jerusalem, which is where we will reside, which will, there, there will be no sun, no moon. We will have no need for light because God himself will be the light in that place. That is what this is talking about, and that's what Peter is referencing we're not going to dive super deep into these, all of these events because as we go through 2 Thessalonians, we will capture some of those things. So we're not going to try and hit all of them at once. It, it's more than, it's a series actually. There's no way to do that. But, but today we're just going to look at a, a, a couple things. There's a lot of things that we can't know about the day of the Lord. There's a lot of things that we can know though. And two in particular that Paul shows us in these passages, two very important things. First, the first thing that we can know is the time and the season in which the day will come. Not necessarily the day, but we can know the times and the seasons. And secondly, we can know how this affects believers versus unbelievers. First, we're going to consider the times and seasons. Look at verse 1 there. Now, considering the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need of anything being written to you. Now, again, Paul just moved out of a spot where he talked to 
uh, to these believers in Thessalonica about something they did not know. They did not have clear understanding about, and that is the rapture of the church. Uh, you know, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verses 13 through 18, Paul just finished comforting them about the rapture of the church, telling them that, hey, this is how it's going to go down. You don't have to worry about those who have fallen asleep or those who have died prior to because they will be coming with the Lord in the rapture of the church, and you will be caught up with them if you are alive. And so he's bringing comfort to them. Now he talks, now he turns and brings some consolation to them. I think it's telling about the, 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 the way that he, he framed this. He started with the rapture, then he moves into the, to the day of the Lord. I believe that's because that is the eschatological framework in which the Lord will, will work. I believe that's a biblical framework. The rapture of the church and then the ushers in the day of the Lord. So, so he now wants to tell them about the day of the Lord. But listen to this. He says, listen, you guys don't have to eat for me to even write to you about these things because you already have a good grasp on it. Again, Paul only spent maybe three Sabbaths with these people, three weeks at max. And what we know is that they were in tune to the, to the teaching of the Apostle Paul and what he had to say. And in that time frame, not only did he talk about Jesus Christ and him crucified and the need for salvation, that man is a sinner, but he also got into what is also incredibly important, eschatological events, particularly these things that he's talking about, the day of the Lord, the tribulation period, that seven-year period of judgment where God rains down his wrath upon the earth. God wants us to know today. When, when Paul was writing this letter, he was also, the Holy Spirit had you in mind, and he wants you to know that you can know the times and the seasons in which we live. Like he wasn't just saying that to these people who had some framework. He's saying that to you. And he's saying that because you have way more information than they even did. You have a lot of information that God has given, and, and he wants you to know that you can know the day, the seasons, and the times in which you live. I love Pastor Chuck used to say, the, the guy that started Calvary Chapel, he used to always say, Christians, you should read your newspaper with your Bible open. You know, and, and, and that is so true because we can look at what's going on in the world today, and we can see events taking place. Now, uh, he may have gotten that, that saying from Karl Barth, who was uh, this Swiss theologian who used to say, take your Bible and take your newspaper and read them both, but interpret newspapers from your Bible. So what that tells us is that what's going on in the world is also being written about in the Bible. So we can read our Bible. If we're, if we're wondering what is going on in the world, all we have to do is open our Bibles, folks. The Bible will tell us about the things that are going on in our world today. We have the ability to know the times and the seasons in which we live. Because, listen, they didn't have the complete word of God, and you do. Did you know they had a letter from Paul? You have the complete word of God. You have 66 love letters from God to you that define for you everything you need to know about God. The Bible says we have everything that we need for life and godliness. We have what we need. We have the completed word of God in which we can look. There, there will be no more revelation, folks. We don't need more revelation. We have all the revelation we need in the word of God. And so, you know, in the, even in the end times events, do you know where they'll be looking for information? The Bible. 
They're going to be looking at Ezekiel. They're going to be looking at Daniel. They're going to be looking at the book of Revelation saying, what in the world is going on? We can do that right now. We can look at our Bible right now and we can look at the world and we can see things taking place. We can know the day and the hour in which we are, the, the season and the time that we are living in. That wasn't always the case. You know, one of the most impactful prophetic writers in the Bible is a dude named Daniel. Daniel writes some impactful things that will take place, particularly about the Messiah when he will come. He, he, he writes it down and pins it to the day, to the day prophetically. Uh, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem in, in the triumphal entry of Christ, he pinned it to the day. He also talks about the abomination of desolation. He'll talk about the Antichrist. We'll get into all that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But, but here's what you need to know. Daniel was in the dark about the details of what he was writing about. He did not understand. In fact, Daniel chapter 12, verses 8 through 13, he said, I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, Oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He, speaking of God, said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Daniel was not given the revelation of the things that he was written. He was not given the interpretation of the revelation that he was given. There was much information given to Isaiah, given to Ezekiel, given to Zechariah, Zephaniah, Haggai, all, Joel, all these guys had a lot of information, but they did not have clear interpretation about the events and the times that we now have clear inf uh, interpretation of. God gave them the words to speak, but he said, they're not for you. They're not for you. In other words, God doesn't cause us to worry about things that don't impact us. Do you know that? So, so oftentimes we're so worried about everything else that does not impact us that we get preoccupied with those things and we forget about the things that do impact us. He tells Daniel, don't get preoccupied, Daniel. Those things are not for you. Shut that book up and move on. Somebody else will, will get the interpretation of that. I used you in the moment, but it's not for you. It's for somebody else. Guess who it's for? It's for us. It's for us. God wrote through Daniel to you for us to understand. It, not only did, 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 the, did Daniel not have the understanding, but the, the, the apostles of Christ didn't have the understanding, in fact. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. So when they had come together, they asked him, speaking of Jesus, Lord, when will you, uh, w Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed for his own authority. This is in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, post-resurrection. Jesus has died. He rose again from the dead. And he said, the times and seasons are not for you to understand. Who is supposed to understand these? We are. Those who will live in the last days. Now, the last days, when you, when you hear that word, so oftentimes we're thinking that it's, are we in the last days? Are we not in the last days? The last days started, we can define it very simply by the ascension of Christ. That is when the last days started. Therefore, the last days have been going on for nearly 2,000 years. Why do I say that? Because oftentimes, I e even hear it through Christians, they say, well, people have been saying that for years. People have been saying Jesus is coming back for years. He is. He is. And, and the reality of it is 
we are in the last of the last days, folks. If the last days were at the ascension of Christ, if that's when it started, they thought they were in the last days 2,000 years ago when they were still pinning the Bible. We are certainly in the last of the last days. What that tells us is we need to be ready. We need to be ready. We need to be discerning people. We need to be looking at the Word of God. We need to be discerning about what God is saying to us about the times and seasons in our life and overall, globally, what that means for this world. We need to be in tune, and we can be. You know, Revelation has a built-in blessing. If you will read the book of Revelation, so many people say, oh, I, I, don't, I don't read that book. It's just too hard to understand. Hold on a second. Who is it hard for, to understand? Why is it hard to understand? Is it, it's too difficult to understand. My Bible tells me that I also have not only, only the Word of God, I have a built-in blessing in that book, but I have a teacher inside of me. I have a teacher inside of me that will help me discern what it is that these things mean. Now, there's plenty of speculation on that book, but it is not, not, it's not that you cannot understand it. The Holy Spirit will teach you these things, but you have to step into it. You can't operate by fear. You can't say, oh, I don't know. I don't, you know, I, I was a little bit tentative to teach the book of Revelation. And uh, so I didn't, when I first started pastoring, I, I wasn't real super strong in eschatology. And I thought, man, I just, uh, I don't know. It's the study of end times. I thought, man, I, th that's, a, that's a big thing to tackle. The Lord said, I want you to teach the book of Revelation. I'm like, huh? Yeah. And, and you know what? As I got into it, it is not that difficult to understand. We make it difficult because we want to make it say things that it doesn't say. If you will read the Bible and take it literally and not try and make it say what it doesn't say, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Just let it, let it say what it says. It's helpful also to read other prophetic pro prophets in the Old Testament that relate to the book of Revelation Daniel, Ezekiel, these, these guys, Isaiah, you can read these, these, these prophets and you can kind of start to see the bigger picture. That's why it's important to know your Bible from cover to cover, folks. Because the Bible interprets the Bible. You know, we, we need to know the Word of God. So there's a built-in blessing, Revelation chapter 1, verse 13. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. John wrote that sometime in the late 90s A.D., and he said, time is near. Time is near. Time is short. So these people in Thessalonica, they're super in tune with what's going on. Now, um, if you want to get better in tune, you're not in tune, you have no idea where to go, let me give you a couple resources uh, to, to help you uh, get on your journey, understanding the times and the seasons in which we live. There's a few resources I want to give you. There's a guy named uh, Don Stewart that has a, a, a weekly TV show four days a week. He, he takes the Bible and he opens it up and he says, here's the news and here's the Bible. Uh, go to hischannel.com. Look for um, the, 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 the show is called Breaking News with Don Stewart. And you can watch that four days a week. You can be in tune very quickly. It's an hour segment, you know. You can get in tune with what's happening pretty quickly on a world scale. Also, you can go to uh, beholdisrael.org. There's a guy named Amir Sufarti that does a weekly update. He is an Israeli, and his, his information is primarily about Israel, which is something that we need to be staying in tune with because Israel is the prophetic 
timepiece as it relates to everything that will happen. It, it will all center around Israel. So uh, Amir Sufarti, uh, you can go to his, his uh, website, beholdisrael.org. And then there's also one other good resources that I, I like to use. His name is J.D. Farag. He is a Calvary Chapel pastor in uh, Kanaohe, Hawaii. So you can go to Calvary Chapel, Kanaohe, uh, com, and it's up there because I can't really even say that word. But um, you go there, get, get the updates. He does a weekly update. There's many, many other people, folks. The point is it's not a lack of information. It's not, we, we're, if we're not in tune, it's because we're choosing not to be in tune. You know, and, and, and listen, don't let unbelief stop you from seeking these things out. Th th this church in Thessalonica was in tune to what was going on, and they, they, they kept going. Look at verse 2. It, it goes on. He says, uh, for, for you yourselves are fully aware of the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying there is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, for they will not escape. Like I said earlier, there's many, many things that we, we, we cannot know about the day of the Lord. In particular, Paul calls it out right here, we cannot know the day and the hour. We cannot know the day and the hour in which the Son of Man will come back, when, when the, the day of the Lord will begin. Jesus said himself in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, but concerning the day and the hour, no one knows. No one knows. I, somebody should probably send a news flash to all the people who continually try and tell us the day that Jesus is coming back. Uh, you know, you might want to just say Matthew 24, 36, but concerning the day and the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Anytime a person sets a date, you can automatically strike that off your calendar. It is not the date, period. There will be no coincidence. Oh, whoa, he picked it. No, that won't happen because that would contradict the Bible. The Bible says no one knows the day or the hour. You will not know. Now, we can know the time and the season, and that's what he's saying. It's not that we're totally in the dark about these things. It's that we will not be able to pinpoint the day uh, uh, when the, the day of the Lord will, will, will um, start. Paul says it will come like a thief in the night. You know, how many of you believe that your, your house can potentially get broken into? Anybody believe that? Anybody at all believe that? Some of you are still in the dark. So, so listen, every 13 seconds in our nation, a home is being broken into. In fact, your home could be being broken into right this second. I mean, you, you could be sitting in church and your home could be broken into. It's people who don't think it will happen, it will happen to. Why? Because you're not ready. Because you are not ready. People that see that as being a potential are going to be prepared for it. And in fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verses 43 through 44, he said, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Listen, therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. What does that mean for us? We need to be ready. We need to be prepared now. You cannot wait until you're, you know, 60 or 80 and say, I, I'm going to start preparing for the coming of the Lord. You need to be ready right this second. And in fact, since the ascension of Christ, there, ha there has been in his church an imminent 
you know, you know there's this capacity of saying that we need to be ready right now for the return of Christ is imminent. It could happen at any moment. And God meant it that way. And the reason he meant it that way, the reason we cannot know when exactly when this will happen is because we would wait till the very last second and then we would start to serve him in the very last moments and we would be off mission. The point of this is not that God is keeping us in the dark. He's keeping us on mission. That's what he's doing. And some of us are still off mission. Some of us know that the potential for Christ to come back, we know all the information, and yet that information makes zero impact in our life. We're not sharing the gospel with people. There's no urgency in our life to really do these things. We are, we are literally, and we'll talk about this in a moment, we're, we're asleep. And, and, and so the point in which God kept us in this place of continually having to be ready was for the purpose of us staying on mission. Because if we didn't have that, let's face it, I don't know about you, but working on a deadline is kind of the way that I work. Every Sunday morning, I have to have a sermon ready. So guess what? All week long, I'm like, oh, taking my time. I'm like, you know, reading through the text. I'm like letting the text come to me. And guess what? On Saturday morning, I'm like, oh, man, I got to get going on this. I got to get this thing done. It's not that I'm not studying, but I'm taking a little bit more of my time and that deadline is keeping me on task. It keeps me on task. There is a deadline coming. And the Lord wants you to be ready for it. He does not want you to be caught off guard because you don't have to be. You don't have to be. Now, now here's what I want you to understand. And this is a side note, but just very quickly. Can we know the exact day of when Jesus will come from heaven at his second coming and descend upon the Mount of Olives and take his earthly, to our, you know, for the battle of Armageddon. Can we know that? That exact day, yes or no? Yes, we can. Why? The prophecy of Daniel tells us to the exact day when that will happen. Therefore, what he's not talking about is when Jesus will come back, the, the, the second coming of Christ. That's not what he's talking about because we can use other prophetic um, scriptures to determine that day. Three and a half years from the midpoint of the tribulation period, Jesus will descend and he will come back. It's prophetic. It's in the word. You know, we know that. What this day is speaking of to me and what I believe is the rapture of the church in the ushering in of the day of the Lord. That's what I believe that's speaking about. So, He's saying, listen, we cannot know the day of the Lord, which I believe uh, the rapture happens first and then the day of the Lord comes in. Um, and, and that's why it's very difficult to believe a mid-trib or post-trib rapture, uh, you know, the theology because you can know those days based on this, based on Daniel's prophecy. And so that, that to me is a very, it gives give me biblical insight to go, yeah, because we can know exactly when Jesus will come back. And we will know when, when the abomination of desolation steps into the holy place. That's mid-trib. Right there. It has to be. And we'll talk about that more. It has to be a, a pre-trib. Um, but you can, it, it's not a, something to divide over. But just inf information. Now, he said, listen, what's going to be happening in the world when this happens is people are going to just be totally secure. They're going to be living like 
business as usual. Nothing's going to be happening. They'll be doing these things. And in fact, Jesus said in Matthew, in ja I'm sorry, Luke chapter 17, verse 26 through 35, he said, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given into marriage until the day of Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying, selling, planting and building. But on that day, when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let no one, or let, let the one who is on his housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. And we'll talk about that in a second. Whenever, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. Paul said to the Thessalonians, they will say peace and security. They will say we have peace and security. That's exactly what they were saying in Sodom. That's exactly what they were saying in the days of Noah. Listen, when Noah was cruising down the square and he was saying, guys, rain is coming. I'm going to build a boat. Who's with me? People thought the guy was a lunatic. Why? Because it had never rained before. It had never rained before. God is going to open up the heavens and water is going to come down and he's going to flood this place. You guys want to help me build a boat and get out of here? Noah, you're crazy. And they went on at business as usual. And guess what? They thought that until they felt the first drop of rain. And then they thought that God is not insane. The same thing with Lot. Lot went to Sodom. He's living totally contrary to the, to the Lord, by the way. He has no spiritual credibility with these people. He goes into the town, and he tells them judgment's coming. He's trying to get his own kids to come with him, but he's lost all credibility because he's been living a life that is contrary to the Word, contrary to what the Word told him to. So he had no credibility, but God sent him anyway, and, and no one listened to him. Everybody went on as business as usual. And the only people that left Sodom with him were his two daughters and his wife. And his wife looked back. She didn't even want to be there with him. She wanted to be in Sodom. That's what happens to, with sin, folks. When it gets a grip on your life, it will hold you down. That's why we have to be vigilant with sin in our lives, man. She looked back and she turned to a pillar of salt. She longed for the world more than she longed to be saved from the Lord. The same will happen in these days. People will just be living their lives, business as usual, and it will happen. And, and there, there will be no warning after that. The warning has already been given. God has sent you and I. He sent you and I to go into the world today and tell them, listen, it's coming. It's coming. And people think you're crazy. People think you're lunatics. So people have been saying that for years. Or, you know, I don't believe the Bible, you know, or whatever. Well, guess what? It's coming whether you believe it or not. So our job is, is to warn people and to share the gospel with people so they don't have to necessarily experience the judgment of God, the wrath of God that Jesus Christ paid for on the cross. 
Paul goes on here and he says, Sudden destruction will come upon you like labor pains and come upon a, a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Who is they? Who is the they there? The unbelievers. Because Paul will, will now tell us in verses 4 through 6, he'll say, listen, th this is the difference between an unbeliever and a believer. They, he's talking about unbelievers here. He's not talking about believers. They will not escape. And in fact, verse 9 tells us that God has not appointed you, speaking of the church, to wrath. He's not appointed you to wrath. But they will not escape. Notice he does not say we will not escape. But they will not escape. These are reasons why I believe in a pre-trib rapture. And you don't have to believe that. I'm just pointing these things out. So he goes on here. And, and he tells them there's going to be birth pains. L listen, Jesus said the exact same thing in Matthew chapter 24. He tells us about the birth pains. He talks about, about you know, uh, false Christ coming. Phil just told you about a guy in Africa who called himself the black messiah you know what and he had how many followers did he have seven million followers and guess what when he died they paraded him around and expected him to come back to life until the health department came and got his body and put it in a grave that's how deceived they were and still are there's still people stuck in that there will be false christ that, and there have been false christ that have come and there will continue to be false Christ. These are, you know, he talks about wars and rumors of wars. He talks about famines and earthquakes and pestilences. All of these things have been going on. And he says these are just the beginning of the birth pains. You know, when your wife is in, you know, that stage where she's just starting to have, you know, labor, where the, the contractions start to come, They're, they come slowly at first. You know, slowly and, and you know, you're a dude, so you're sitting back going, this doesn't look too bad. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, but, but listen, buddy, when it gets down to it and she's, in, she's experiencing these birth pains more and more and more, you know there is no turning back. There's nothing you can do at this point. A baby is coming. That's what he's talking about. The birth pains have already started. They're there. And in fact, Jesus goes on and, and he talks about what, the, what, it, what he said, listen, this is what you'll, you'll experience. You're going you're gonna to have tribulation. You're going to have persecution. Uh, the, the, many will fall away, betray each other. There'll be false prophets that will rise up and lead many astray. There'll be lawlessness will increase and the love of many will grow cold. I'll tell you what, I can, I can speak for the, the church in America today that the love of many is growing cold. The love of many is growing cold in, in the church in America today. He's talking about what's going to happen in and amongst the, the, the Christians, in and amongst the church people. And he, that started at the ascension of Christ, and it is going on today. Listen, uh, according to Open Doors Ministry, 20, 245 million Christians are experiencing heavy persecution right this moment. Heavy persecution. It, it, it's uh, one out of nine Christians are experiencing heavy persecution today, right now. We don't see it in our country but listen, there's a lot more people that live in this world than in the United States. We have 300 million people that live here or so. The rest of the world's population lives in what's called the 1040 window, which was the most persecuted place in the world. And these people are, are giving up their lives for Christ. Muslims are killing Christians by the groves. But guess what? Many Muslims are coming to Christ at the same time. 
There's a lot of persecution going on. These things are happening. And he says, you know, all these things will take place, and the gospel will go forward. Uh, he, he said specifically, the, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. And then the end will come. Does every person in the world have to hear the gospel before the end comes? The answer is no. That's not what it says. It says that the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. It, the, the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. The kingdom currently is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Although there are, four of, according to the Joshua Project, 41.9% of people in the world are still unreached. That's, you know, tribal people and all of these kinds of things. But the gospel is going forward throughout all the world today. It is going out through all the whole world. We're not waiting for every single person to hear the gospel. The Lord is speaking the gospel to people, you know, in all kinds of different ways. What I'm telling you is that that will happen all the way through the tribulation. The gospel will continue to go forward throughout all the whole world. Perhaps... When the, and Because he says, then the end will come. Well, what's the end? What is the end? The end is Christ coming. At that point, when the second coming of Christ, you know, those, those who are alive here that were persecuting the church are judged. They're gone. The only people that will enter the millennial uh, kingdom of Christ are people who believed in him. In fact, the world will be filled with people for a thousand years that believe in Christ. And at the end of a thousand years, it blows my mind to think this, but the enemy is able to deceive them, and almost all of them will fall away from the Lord. That blows my mind. But listen, there will be no unbelievers when the millennial reign starts. The end is speaking about the coming of Christ, the battle of Armageddon, when it had all shut down, and then he sets up his earthly kingdom. All right, we're going we're gonna to shut her down because I could keep going, but we got, a, we got a little bit left, but I'll pick this up next week. But here's the thing. You can know the times and the seasons in which you live. You can know that right now. You don't have to wait. And the reason God wants you to know it is because he wants you to be ready. The question is, are you ready? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? If you died in the next breath, are you sure that you're sure that you're sure that you would go to heaven? Are you 100% knowing that you're in right relationship with God? The question is do not do you know Jesus. The better question is does Jesus know you? Because when Jesus, you stand before Jesus, plenty of people are going to say, I know you, I know you, I know you. And he's going to say, I don't know you. Depart from me. The question is, does Jesus know you? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning and, and for just the clarity that we have regarding the times and the seasons in which we live and, and, the, and the things that we can know. And we pray this morning, Lord, that you would set a fire in our heart, that you would not, us, not allow us to leave in this, this place today without a burden for those who don't know you. Lord, we pray right now that, that your Holy Spirit would change our hearts, would rip the calluses off of our hearts regarding unbelievers. Lord, that you would help us to see the lost like you see them. Father, that you would put a fire under us, Lord, to be serious about the day in which we live. You're coming back. 
No one will stop that. The birth pangs are already started. We're in labor prophetically. And we don't know when that day will be when you will remove your church. But what we do know is we want to be ready. And we want those around us to be ready, Lord. Wake us up. Help us not to be uh, lulled to sleep, Lord, from trying to, you know, live in this world and, and, you know, not really being on mission for you. We pray right now, Lord. Renew our hearts today. Create in us a clean heart, oh God. And renew within us a steadfast spirit. Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to come right now. Two calls this morning, Lord. One to salvation, one for renewal. Lord, for those who don't know you this morning, God, we want to give them an opportunity just for a moment to say, hey, I don't know if I'm going to heaven, but I I know that there was a Savior that came. He died on a cross for me. He bled for me so that my sins could be forgiven. He became my sacrifice. He was laid in a grave, and then he rose again from the dead for me. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That although we have failed greatly and we have sinned grievously against you, Lord, that you sent a Savior for us. And this morning, God, you want to to offer your son to anyone who doesn't believe, who doesn't have that right relationship with you. Will you, by your spirit, just help them to know if that's them this morning? Will you give them the faith to trust in Jesus this morning? If that's what you, will you raise your hand? I just want to pray a prayer with you. Is there anyone here this morning that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus? Just lift your hand up in the air. You, you don't know, you're not sure that you're going to go to heaven. God's calling you to be ready this morning. Anyone at all? If you're online or you're listening to this later, you too. You need to make that decision. If you haven't, here's the prayer. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name and I want to receive him as my Savior and my Lord. I'm turning away from my life of sin right now and I'm turning to you. I'm asking you to cleanse me of my sin, to wash me clean, to, to forgive me. I believe that Jesus died and that he rose again for me and I'm putting my faith in him. Thank you, Lord, for salvation. And Lord, we want to just also, for those who are here this morning who maybe have been off mission and you've spoken to them this morning, Lord, that you just call them to a recommitment to that, to to follow you, Lord. And so that happens just in repentance, Father. It's not necessarily for salvation, but it's saying, Lord, I I need to be cleansed this morning of my sin. I want to be forgiven. Will you cleanse us, Lord? Let us pray. If that's you, just pray this prayer with me. Father, I come now and I want to renew my relationship with you. God, I have not been on mission for you. I've been living for myself or I've been doing, I've been caught up in busyness of this world and I have not been on mission. Will you forgive me? Will you cleanse me? Lord, will you set me free from the things that I've been entangled with today? And will you, will you help me to get on the right road right now? Lord, baptize me in your spirit. Empower me supernaturally to live the life that you're calling me to. I just lift this up to you, Lord. I pray for cleansing. I pray for renewal. I just pray for a a fresh start today. And I lift these things up in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for, for your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would use it in our lives as we continue to worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us? 
Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.